Did I mention that I go to the gym and that I injured myself? Oh my god. Is that you injuring yourself? Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much how it happened. <laughs> Ow. Ow. I feel like you can make like a sick dubstep beep with that. Just like slow it down a little bit, you know? User error 58. I'm Joe. I'm Alan. I'm Dan. And I'm Bell. L, who are you? Oh yeah, you're the new team member for Jupiter Broadcasting. People will have heard about that on the latest Linux Unplugged. I mean, I just snuck in here. What can I say about it? Yes, well, it's nice of you to join us on User Error. Um, quick thing to mention up top is Choose Linux, which is a new show for the network, ChooseLinux.show. And it's with me and Jason Evangelo, who writes for Forbes and is very new to Linux. Uh, he's been using it for about six months and he's very enthusiastic. And I'm very old and jaded when it comes to Linux. So it's a good mix. It's kind of charting his journey into the Linux world. So yeah, do check that one out. I got to say, it's been really cool to see Jason's stuff and his take on things. And it's such a, a fresh perspective and such an outsider's perspective that it's really interesting to see his journey. Yeah, we'll get him cynical in a few years. Don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> it took Joe all of, what, a week to get me cynical? So it'll happen. <laughs> all right, well, let's start with something that we can be quite cynical about, and that's computer sustainability. And the question that you posed, Popey, was... Should we stop making and buying computers and throwing the old ones away? Surprisingly enough, I think the answer is yes. Did I ask this question? I think it was you. Oh, okay. Because I, I thought this was one that you'd come up with, and I was about to counter it with, well, should we stop making and buying guitars and stop throwing the old ones away? Well, that's the thing is, with guitars, you don't throw the old ones away. You just collect more and more. Well, that's what I do with laptops. Uh, I, <laughs> that's what I do as well. <laughs> I have more ThinkPads than I have limbs. So, yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I think some people uh, would rather like us to optimize for the older computer and ensure that we've got everything working on something that's more uh, lean, shall we say. But um, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not convinced. I'm definitely on the opposite side of the spectrum. I think that we should make computers more recyclable, but I feel like um, hardware always enables new features and new ways to use the software and things like convertibles and touch and, um, you know, biometric passwords and USB-C. Yes, USB-C and bigger touchpads and all of these things. I, I want more of that. Right, but it's a bit relentless. Like, the significant number of people on the planet don't need all that stuff. A significant number of people type documents, view pages in a web browser, and don't necessarily need all that newfangled stuff. So it would be nice if we optimized for not necessarily the lowest common denominator and everyone else has to suck it. But I I, I do feel that we, we seem to be outgrowing the computers that we have very fast and the constant relentless strive to get the latest, newest it's that, that commercialism that pushes people to buy new computers and keeps these corporations going. It would be nice if some of these things lasted a little bit longer. Is the standard user actually changing, is my opinion on this, because I keep saving old hardware thinking, oh, I'll put it together and give it to person A, because they really don't do anything that is going to require, you know, new and upgraded hardware. And then when I do do it, they complain that the computer is running slow, that they aren't able to watch their videos. So the baseline user may be needing more than we're giving them credit for. Maybe, or maybe just everything's growing and now we're delivering 4K video and uh, websites are getting fatter and, you know, th like 
these computers did work three years ago. Like this three-year-old computer was bleeding edge at the time and worked fine. Why is it no longer the case three years later? What has changed? And are those users doing more with their computer or are they just visiting websites that are fatter and expecting you to have more power because a small percentage of their user base does have more power and so they lift the average and expect everyone to have it? Yeah, well, user interface design has changed. It's way more fluid, with more animations. I think more websites are expecting you to have like a 3D rendering engine in your browser to be able to deliver all of these these little animations everywhere. And and that's what people expect now when they see a website. It's not just reading a document anymore. Well, it all comes down to a developer's going to develop. And if the developers keep buying the latest hardware and developing websites, software, whatever it is on that latest hardware and not properly testing it on older hardware, then that's where this problem comes from. And Dan, you are somewhat guilty of that. You and Cassidy have got your XPS 13s with the fancy, you know, latest processes and everything. Do you actually do testing on five-year-old hardware? So uh, I actually don't run an XPS 13. I, I run a Yoga 900 currently. Oh, yeah. But uh, we do have people that are testing on like the Intel NUC and things like that for, for performance reasons. And I feel like especially with laptops that you still want to care about performance because if you can use less CPU cycles, you can use less battery. Yeah, that's true. Does Ubuntu care about this sort of thing, Popey? Well, we certainly get feedback when things aren't performing well and when battery life is not good and when things are slow to render. Yeah, we certainly we certainly get feedback on that. And whether we can do an awful lot about it uh, depends on where the problem lies. And in the desktop, we've done a load of work to improve the performance of Gnome Shell and sent a whole bunch of patches upstream for various components. And you look at the feedback we get from gamers who tell us, you know, frame rates are not as good as they could be on this particular setup. And so we have to look into that and figure out where we're losing frames because gamers are part of the reason that drive these hardware requirements up because they're constantly chasing frame frames per second and these big fat games that need more memory and more, te- more texture memory. Um, so like, while you could berate, uh, Dan and Cassidy and say, ah, well, you're on the latest hardware. And um, the problem is that there are other people, your customers out there who are on the latest hardware. And if you don't support that and you don't do 4K displays and you don't do fractional scaling and you don't support their latest CPUs and their latest GPUs, then they're not going to use your software. And those are customers. So, you know, do you cater for the person who's only ever going to buy a Commodore 64 or do you cater for somewhere everywhere between a Commodore 64 and a, you know, a ThinkPad X1 Extreme or whatever? Is this a mindset that has changed? Because I know when I first started, um, everybody would tell me, oh, if you have an old computer, just put Linux on it, it'll run fine. And that doesn't seem to be the message anymore. I think that's definitely something that's changed. I mean, we have to... um make notes in our hardware requirements about, hey, you know, this isn't something that's going to run on an old 32-bit computer. Like, we don't test against 32-bit anymore. That's too old. Uh, there are some requirements uh, for for all the animations in the interface and things that our users are expecting us to do, uh, but don't run on these older machines. And I think some of the, some of the lightweight distributions of uh, that would traditionally have been called lightweight distributions are repositioning themselves as not necessarily being targeted for that, you know, the old, old computer. But there are always going to be Linux distributions out there like Bunsen Labs and MX Linux that are tuned for 
old crusty computers. Yeah, and things like Tiny Core for really, really old computers, I suppose. But we've been talking about computers as if the only thing that exists are laptops and desktops, but we can't ignore phones here because they are essentially computers as well. And exactly the same thing happens with phones. People are pressured to upgrade constantly. Part of that because the hardware fails, the battery stops working, or they drop the thing. But I think it's worse with phones because people push to upgrade every two years, whereas laptops maybe less so. You know what I really think drives phones too is things like cameras. Uh, you know, just the other day, uh, my girlfriend had left her phone at home and I only had my old iPhone SE and she wanted to take a photo and she immediately felt like this camera sucks. This isn't as good as, as the camera that I have on my phone. So I think that the hardware that comes with the phones, uh, is, it's things that people care about and they want, they want the better camera. They want longer battery life. They want a bigger screen. Weird how quickly we get used to stuff though. That iPhone SE would have been fine a few years ago, but. Like we've reset our expectations and we do that every single year when a new device comes out and now it's every device has to be water resistant or waterproof to a certain level. And every device now has to stretch pixels right to the edge of the display and it can't have a chin and it can't have a border and it can't have a notch. And there's this relentless drive to always have the new thing. Whereas like your one plus one from five years ago is still a perfectly fine phone. Yeah, well, uh, your son's still using that, isn't he? Yeah, all day, every day. <laughs> Can't get him off it. <laughs> yeah, it's a great phone. And the only reason I upgraded my OnePlus One to a 3T was because the battery was really terrible. I tried changing it myself, snapped off the Wi-Fi and Bluetooth antenna, and that was that. I couldn't. I tried soldering it, it just wouldn't work, and so I had to upgrade. But I just can't see any reason why I would upgrade from my 3T unless it breaks. And we're starting to see that tide turn, I think. Apple have reported that they're selling fewer iPhones now than they were before, and they're not hitting their targets and everything. And probably that's because they're charging ridiculous amounts of money for them. But it's also, I think, because we're at a point now where phones are actually really good. But then give it another two years, and there'll be some other reason. They'll be folding, like we talked about before or something. But yeah, there's just just piles of e-waste. I mean, I dug through my drawer and found my old QWERTY phone. It's a Sony Xperia Pro. And uh, yeah, I actually got busted on Twitter for playing games on it, which I'm not supposed to do, am I? But um, that was a perfectly functioning phone five, six, seven, eight years ago when I bought it. And now it's just a piece of crap because Android has come on so far and got so bloated that you need to have three, four, five, six plus gigs of RAM to make it actually usable. You know, I think I'm one of the people who's gone the other way with it. And I'm just, I'm done with it. I'm done with smartphones. I have a $50 phone that I bought off of Amazon. I can't even tell you what the type is. I use it to call sometimes and mostly text. And that's it. Like if I need to do something, I will go get my laptop. Yeah, but that's not the reality of how most people use, well, computers. Most people that most normal people that I'm aware of Ouch. don't really have. <laughs> wow. Well, no, we're not normal. We're techies, aren't we? But like normal people who don't work in the tech industry generally don't use a laptop very much. They generally use their phone for almost everything. I don't know. I was walking through a hospital today and I saw a few people get their phones, get their phones out and they're like normal, the great unwashed. And a significant number of them were crappy little Mars bar sized phones. I was quite surprised. All right. That is surprising. I suppose maybe I'm a little bit biased living in London, going on the tube and seeing all Metropolitan the Metropolitan sort of, elite. That's what you are. 
you're the metropolitan elite. Yeah, it's funny how people say that, like it's a bad thing. But uh, elite somewhat implies that we're better than them. But there you go. Yeah, maybe, maybe my view is totally clouded by that. But I, I just don't think that many people are using laptops anymore, are they? I'm using a laptop and I want the latest, newest one. <laughs> Maybe it just has to do with the area that you're in. You know, I am in a more of a rural area, and it's just not the biggest deal to have the brand new phone. What about having a brand new MacBook or whatever? So I'm seeing more of that, and I honestly don't think it's because it's the newest MacBook. It's because they don't have that many options. You go in and you get a few options with size, but you're not really looking at the hardware trying to figure out what you should buy. So it just seems like the easiest thing for them to go in and buy. And people aren't buying those cheap sort of $200, you know, really terrible Windows 10 laptops then? I don't know about everyone. I kind of fell into it and tried one out. And like I was telling um, you, Joe, I I learned my lesson. I hate the thing. And now it sits there collecting dust because I don't even want to give it to anyone. Well, there's a really simple solution to make it work really fast again. Install Linux on it. I did. And it is still slow <laughs> as mud, which is what brought my other question on. Is this not the case anymore? I'm looking at puppy Linux right now, trying to see if I can get, breathe some life into it. Okay. Hashtag ask error. What one meal could you live on for the rest of your life? So L, what meal would you live on? I think mine would be steak fettuccine Alfredo. Um, you know, I've got my steak and I, that's where I I guess fly my Texas flags. I am a meat eater. And I love fettuccine Alfredo. I think that is my favorite food. So I don't think I could ever get tired of it. Okay. Dan, what about you? Gotta be pizza. Ah, oh, damn it. You stole mine. That's the, the... <laughs> you gotta be pizza. There's nothing else you could possibly eat every day except for pizza. You'd get sick of it. But pizza is, is pizza, man. Yeah. And because pizza is essentially a sandwich, only a hot one, and you can put anything on it. You can have meat, vegetables, whatever, you can vary it up. And so it's kind of a cheat answer. can't believe you thought of that. Okay, not cheating. I could still eat pepperoni pizza for the rest of my life every single day. I probably could as well. I think after I've eaten a certain amount of pizza, the toastiness of the edge of the crust of the pizza would scrape the roof of my mouth. I don't know if you ever get this, if you eat too much of a crusty thing, like your inside your mouth gets a bit raw. I think that would be enough and I'd have to eat something soft and I wouldn't have anything soft because I would just be eating pizza and that would do my head in. So I don't think I could, I, I wouldn't be able to cope with that. could always just throw the crust away and only eat the middle bit. No, that's rude. <laughs> yeah, true. What would you go for then? Curry, obviously. Obviously. I suppose curry's a bit of a cheat as well because there's quite a few different ones. Yeah, exactly. This is why when L said like one specific dish, I thought, oh, okay, uh, am I going to have to choose one specific curry dish or what? And then you went for pizza. I was like, oh, okay, I can have, pe- I can have curry then. <laughs> Cause I, so on our uh, honeymoon, we went to the Maldives and we had curry basically every day for two weeks. And that was fine by me. Um, it was obviously <laughs> different dishes every day, but it was fantastic. And I would totally like have curry every day. Thanks very much. Well, what if you had to pick one dish though? Uh, I would have, uh, my local curry house used to do a thing called a Rajpur special and it was, um, uh, chicken curry. So pieces of chicken and there was minced up, um, well, it said minced meat in it. Um, <laughs> um, and so that was I, I, either beef or lamb, I think. I think it was beef. It may have been equine in origin. It could be. Uh, and it had a boiled egg in it that had been scored. So all the curry, like 
permeated the egg and it had this lovely rich red sauce and some rice. I could live off that because it's got chicken and another nondescript meat and uh, the nice egg and rice. So I would have that Rajpur special every day. I had the best curry ever in London. And then I have not been able to find good curry in the States ever. Well, it is our national dish. So it's not a surprise. If I could find good curry here, I, I bet I would eat curry every day too. Cause that was, it was so good. It was really good. I, I miss it. I think about it sometimes. I think about curry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would go for our other national dish as soon as you've taken pizza. And that is a full English breakfast. Um, you know, bacon, egg, sausages. I don't believe that is another national dish. I believe if you're, if you hold the, uh, the UK on what their favorite dish is, I think you'll find top of the list is spaghetti bolognese. Probably. Yeah, probably. But I think our national dish is probably roast dinner. I asked my brother earlier on today what would be his meal if he had to live on something for the rest of his life. And he said roast dinner because there's variety in there. The most boring of all meals that takes hours to prepare and hours to clean up after. (laughs) Only an Englishman could come up with that. Okay, let's talk about distro choice. Now, I'm very set in my ways. I've used Zubuntu for most of my Linux life over the last 10 or so years. I've tried everything else under the sun, and I keep coming back to Zubuntu because I'm boring, it's boring, and that's a good thing. Um, But I thought I would ask you lot why you've come to choose the distro that you have. And uh, we've kind of all got different answers here because, L, you are still distro hopping, um, because you came into this Linux world through the server route rather than desktop, so you still haven't quite found your distro. So I'm, I'm going to come back to you and ask why you haven't picked one yet. Um, Dan, you made your own, and Popey, you've just, I don't know, adopted Ubuntu and stuck with it, despite the fact that you've ended up using essentially four different user interfaces over <laughs> the years. Over the last week? <laughs> yeah, well, GNOME 2... Um, then Unity, then GNOME Shell, GNOME 3, and also you're quite a fan of Plasma as well. Um, So, well, let's start with you, Dan. What was it about all the other distros that made you roll your own? I think it was just kind of an obsession with making a, a better user interface design and the kind of groups that I got involved with when I started using Linux were about building new things it for me it it was never a pure consumer experience i came into it with the intention of making things and so it was a kind of a natural progression i think for me to continue making things and finding other people that wanted to make things and and so we just kept on and on and until we you know we're still in this process of how can we tweak this thing make this thing better add a shortcut here tooltip there you know what what kind of optimizations can we make to make the workflow easier and faster and remove all the little road bumps so i, I think it's just that that obsessiveness with trying to smooth out all the edges that keeps me working on my own thing so l uh, you were using elementary OS until today when you shit-canned it. Um, I know that you're taking part in this distro challenge that Jason has come up with, and the next one is OpenSUSE, but were you uh, pleased to get rid of elementary? And if so, why? And don't pull any punches. Dan can take it. Yeah. Tell me to my face, Al. Why'd you leave me? <laughs> oh, um, no. So... 
Really, I think it's just been that it hasn't worked with what I've needed to do for work. You know, I haven't been able to get the drivers in correctly. Um, you know, Joe spent two hours with me trying to troubleshoot to the point where I just kind of needed a break and to step away. And that's why I haven't picked a distro is I don't have to and no one can make me. I can choose to change distros as many times as I want. And as long as I'm keeping good backups, I'm not really affected in my day to day. So and it, it's become so easy now with, you know, live boots and, you know, just putting it on a USB. I actually have a drawer with about 15 different USBs and different distros. And I can just reach in, grab one and try something new. The one thing I do want to expand to, though, is the desktop utilities and actually using something other than GNOME, because I have been guilty of always picking GNOME because it's what I know. Yeah. Well, do you have a minute to talk about XFCE and how great it is? Is there literature? Are you going to leave pamphlets at my door? <laughs> yeah, yeah. XFCE is like two years lagging behind what Pantheon does, in a nutshell. Uh, no, it's not. It's sort of like Windows 7. Oh, um, only no. Good. No, and it's Zubuntu. I, you know, Simon comes into our channel all the time and like borrows little things. Oh, here and there. It's like you guys are our, our downstream that are just kind of like slowly working our, your way over. Well, that's one way to look at it, but Zubuntu hasn't fundamentally changed for 10 years or more. There's been slight tweaks and improvements, like a proper searchable menu and stuff, but otherwise it's just a very plain, boring distro that doesn't really do anything fancy, but then nothing ever goes wrong with it. And so that's why I recommend it to people. If you want kind of new, shiny, fancy stuff, then it's probably not for you, but if, like me, you are fairly small C conservative, then it's just perfect. How often do you think people are running into issues with the desktop interfaces and blaming it on the OS as a whole? Oh, very frequently. Definitely. Like when GNOME Shell crashes, people blame Ubuntu or Fedora, whatever it's running on top of. But the reality is that it's GNOME Shell crashing. And if they were using that same base of Ubuntu, Fedora, whatever, with Plasma Desktop or XFCE, they'd have a completely different experience. It would crash differently. <laughs> I think it goes the other way around, though, too. You know, Intel or AMD or NVIDIA pushes out a crap driver or has some major game-breaking bug in, in what they've released, and then now it's our fault somehow that, you know, our software is crap because the AMD driver doesn't work. So, Pipey, why have you stuck with Ubuntu through thick and thin with all the changes that have happened? Um, so I... St- started using Ubuntu uh I, I used Red Hat originally, I think. I think I might have used Caldera or Coral Linux or something for a short while and then Red Hat up until seven point one and I got really pissed off with RPM Hell back then. And then mate of mine at my dist- at my uh, lug said you should try Debian and because it's got a better package manager and I did and I loved it. And then I couldn't get my webcam working and Ubuntu came along and had a kernel that I didn't have to recompile to get my webcam working. And that was in 2004 and I've run it since. And I, I just haven't seen a, a compelling argument to switch. The only, the only um, thing I have done is a year ago, Chris did one of these um, distro challenge things and I installed KDE Plasma, having not used KDE for many, many years, uh, not even tried using KDE for many years, I installed it on my ThinkPad and that install has stayed on there for over a year now. So it, it, it must be okay. Um, and I've got involved and help out KDE a little bit here and there, um, as a result. And I find 
the the reason why I like KDE Plasma is the same reason I liked getting into Ubuntu back in 2004 is the community around it. The people who are, who were helping make the thing are cool people who are friendly and open and welcoming to new people. That's how Ubuntu like got me in back in 2004. And that's exactly how KDE Plasma have got me in in 2018. So you're saying that all Linux distros and desktop environments are shit and it really just depends on the community. That's the most important thing. No, um, that's a that's a factor. It's certainly, it's certainly a factor for me because I wanted to contribute. I had some spare time and I wanted to do something with my spare time and I contributed to Ubuntu and I found that there was a, a bunch of friendly people who um, appreciated my contributions and um, I feel the same way about KDE. Um, and as a byproduct, it's also quite a robust, um, enjoyable desktop. The thing is, I'm not like Dan, so I, I don't, I don't have a keen eye for design. So my desktop is a mishmash of GTK and Qt and Electron, and some apps have got a dark theme and some haven't. It's all really inconsistent, but I don't feel like it's jumping off the screen and poking needles in my eyes as Dan probably does. If he looked at my display, he would probably go, ah, that's awful. That's horrible. Um, and I don't care because what matters to me is the stuff that's inside the window, not the, the chrome that's around the edge, really. Yeah, but if it's not high DPI and scaled correctly, then Dan's just not interested. Well, this is why I, I only have 1080p screens. So I don't have that problem. I've, I've cunningly avoided that problem. Okay, another hashtag ask error. What is your favorite bash alias that you've created? It's a very specific nerdy question, that one. Yes, yeah. And the follow-up is, if you aren't heavy alias users, why? Um, I'm not a heavy alias user. I've got one, and that is just my update script, which is just, you know, sudo up, get update and upgrade and clean and auto-remove and that sort of thing. Did you say apt get? Yeah, I'm old school. Joe, it's 2019, man. It's just app now. I know. I know. What can you do? Um, so I only have one, and why I don't use more is because... It just means having to reset that up on every machine. And if you get into the habit of it, it's like using a different shell, like fish or whatever. It's just one more thing to set up. And I can go onto any machine and do almost anything that I can. And I do my up, enter, oh, shit, I haven't set that up. Oh, that's really annoying. I just don't want that for other ones. So, L, I mean, you come from the server world, so presumably you are more into aliases than desktop people. I can't say I've created aliases for my desktop, but yeah, when we were working on servers, we had a number of aliases that we would have set up on our local desktops that we could just run across the customer's server. So when we get low disk tickets, you would just shoot your alias out and here, customer, this is why you have no space. Or, you know, here's another one. Hey, you locked yourself out again. Guess what? Here's your password update. It just made life a lot easier. What about you, Poppy, then? I have one that I've set, but you all probably use more than one on a daily basis because a default Ubuntu install sets ls to be ls dash dash color equals auto. And you probably use alias on a re- ls on a regular basis. And if you do, then you're already using an alias. So, ha. Ah. But I've set one, which is, um, if you have a lot of snaps installed, then when you run df, um, there's all these snaps mounted as loopback devices and they all clutter up your DF output. So I have an alias for DF that does DF minus X to exclude uh, 
and then SquashFS. So it doesn't show me any SquashFS, which means I don't see the DF output for all the loopback devices. And so I just see my mounted file systems like Home and Root and Temp and stuff like that. And it makes it much more easy to read. That's the only one I have. You realize that you may have just sold using Snaps to me because that is one of the main <laughs> complaints that I have. Yeah. I I brought this up at a, at a, a company sprint uh, in the room with all the SnapD developers and said, you know what, we need to fix this because people complain about it all the time. And they were like, well, DF is working as designed. You know, it's doing what it's supposed to do, show all the mounted file systems, and they are mounted file systems, so it's just doing what it should. And then John Lenton went, try this. And I tried it. I was like, oh my God, this is a revelation. And I set that as an alias on all my machines now. Does it work for LSBLK as well? Um, I, well, I don't know. If if LSBLK and other friends have an exclude option, then you could set it as an alias for sure. Or you could grip it and minus V to invert the output and make it so that it doesn't show those. Sure, you could set that as an alias. Right, I definitely need to do that. So Dan, you don't use a terminal at all, right? You're all about the GUI. <laughs> <laughs> I, I occasionally use a terminal. I still got to compile my programs and things. But uh, the only the only alias I've actually ever cared to set was uh, in ls to sort directories separate from files. So now that I know that Ubuntu ships a default alias for that, I think that's a really good argument for uh, me to get that as a default in elementary OS. Nice. So when you say separate the directories, you mean like put all the directories first in alphabetical order, then all the files in alphabetical order afterwards? Right, yeah, exactly like the file manager does it. You should lobby to get that default in Ubuntu. <laughs> And then you you don't have to maintain it. Oh yeah, well, let's uh, let's form a coalition. That would be great. Yeah, yeah, totally. I'll be up for that. But uh, yeah, um, I, I haven't set that up since I tried to do it like two years ago and forgot about it. So I don't really use aliases because it's the same thing like Joe said, where if I go to a new machine or reinstall or anything, it's like, oh, there goes all my aliases. Forgot to back them up. Yeah, it's only one file and trivial to do, but it's just one more thing to remember. Okay, so something that has come to my attention recently is that things aren't the same as when I was a kid. It was all fields around here. But when I was a kid, when I was sort of like 9, 10, 11, I used to roam around the neighborhood on my bike with my friends and my brother and would come back when it was starting to get dark and eat dinner or whatever. And that is just not socially acceptable anymore. If you're a parent and you are not constantly supervising your children or having them under the supervision of an adult, then it's like almost as bad as smoking indoors or something, probably worse. And I just don't really see what why that happened. I don't understand when it happened. It sort of seems to have passed me by. Now, I don't have kids. I'm quite antinatalist, I think you might say. Um, and we've talked about this a little bit before. Um, but L, you've got kids. And so presumably you either never let them out of your sight or get a lot of shit for doing so. Okay, at the risk of sounding a little backwards, this is why I would never function in a large city. And that's because ever since my kids could walk, you know, we used to live on a farm. That's true. And I would just open the back door and, you know, as long as they stayed somewhere within our land, I didn't really mind them going out and playing. And when we moved into more of, I guess, a suburban area, I just kind of kept that mindset. Stay within our street so that I can at least look out and yell at you when I need you and have fun. And overall, it's been an easy adjustment. I don't think anyone on our street really is minded. We've seen more kids out and playing. 
But the only issue I've had is with school districts, because once my kids were old enough to go to schools outside of elementary, I let them ride the public school buses and no one could fathom why I would allow that. What's the what's the perception there then that that you're being a bad parent because something could happen to them? Yeah, they are convinced that anyone could nab them, that something could happen, I guess, while they're on the bus. I don't really understand their worst case scenario in their heads. But, you know, the bus is generally full of other people. And I guess I just have to believe the in the good of people as a whole. You know, if I've got 50 people on a bus and something happens, I'm going to hope that one person at least steps up. Well, yeah, the, the reality is that when bad things happen to children, almost all of the time, that is either the parents doing it or friends of the parents or relatives, whatever, you know, it's people who the children know. It's this idea of strangers kidnapping them and doing ghastly things to them. It's just like, yeah, it does happen, obviously. And when it does happen, it's big news and we hear about it. But there are billions of people in the world and it just doesn't happen very often. But somehow, We've got it into our heads as a society, in the West at least, that it's likely to happen to our children. I think it's worth pointing out your perception of uh, what is you know, considered okay is, is a very UK-centric view. I think there, there's plenty of people in other countries where the kids would just roam freely out in the street um, and would play you know, with their friends out until all hours and then come back when they need food. I think that, and I think that is still normal in many, many places. Like Elle says, you know, if you live on a farm or you live out in the sticks, chances are the kids go out and play with farm equipment or play in a barn or whatever. And they're fine, obviously. Um, I, I know in the UK, it's very different over, and it's not just very recently. It's changed over the last like 40 years. I remember seeing an article on BBC website a few years ago where they showed a map and it showed um, a plot of three generations of a family, the grandparents, where they lived and where they went to school and where they played. And that distance was quite significant from their home to their school and from their home to the play area. And the next generation, their child, the parent, was slightly nearer, uh, both schooling and play area. And then the youngest person in the family, the current child, was even closer, like within a within a mile, both to the school and to the, the location where they played. And I think it is partly people have this perception that, you know, there are weirdos out there who are going to come and get them, partly because there's more information about that kind of stuff and people hear about it more. Whereas before, you didn't know that there were weirdos out there doing unspeakable things to children. And I know disproportionately there aren't, like, that many of them. So the probability of that happening is extremely low. But yeah, in the West, especially in the UK, people are paranoid that that's going to happen and so keep them inside. How is it where you are, Dan? So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't have any kids, but uh, when I grew up, um, I think that I was on kind of the tail end of, you know, I, I would go out and uh, play with friends and then in, um, you know... Uh, I, I lived too far away from middle school to take the bus, but for high school, I lived close enough. So I took the bus, um, to, to the high school and then, uh, they had some issues with overcrowding. So they, they couldn't run the buses everywhere. And so I started riding my bike. It wasn't like my parents were like, Oh, we must drop you off. You know, I, I got myself to school and home. And as long as I let them know where I was, you know, I had a key and I came and go and, and it wasn't a big deal. 
But uh, for some of my siblings that are quite a bit younger than I am, there definitely was a transition somewhere along the way where all of a sudden them going outside by themselves was like this unspeakable act. And there's no way that it would be safe for them to leave the house, even though we lived in the same area. And by the number, crime rates have gone down. You know, one of the things that y'all mentioned was, you know, the whole stranger danger concept. And that's something I never taught my kids. I taught them personal boundaries and the fact that, you know what, if people couldn't invade your bubble, if you didn't let them. So I think because of that, they've been more vocal when asking for help or saying something when something just doesn't feel right to them. And I think because of that, I, I really do feel comfortable allowing my oldest to, you know, what, jump on the bus and go to the mall. He doesn't need me driving him everywhere. And know that he's going to speak out if something does occur. I wonder if people, when they teach stranger danger, kind of implant that fear in their kids so they're unwilling to speak up. Yeah. Out out of interest, how old is your oldest? He is 14. Okay, so my daughter is 15. And she doesn't go that far. Uh, She can can go into town and sometimes does. But invariably, through laziness, I'll drop her off and pick her up. But yeah, she could quite easily walk i guess <laughs> but we don't do that very often what about your youngest Pope? uh he so he's recently changed school and he now goes to a school that's a 20 minute walk away but i almost always drive him and pick him up because i work from home i can just go and drop him and pick him up and it's five minute drive if that there and back um and sometimes he's he's walked a few times but now it's winter he's like it's too cold come pick me up so i just go and get him but yeah, he should and could walk perfectly fine. It's a twenty minute walk. And does he just go and hang out with kids in in the neighborhood or is he just hanging out? No, they're all playing they're all playing Fortnite. <laughs> it's twenty nineteen. Yeah, I mean that's that's the elephant in the room, isn't it? Well, yeah. When I wanted to play computer games, I would get my computer, get on the train and go to my mate Keith's house and sit in his bedroom and we'd play computer games. Or we while we're waiting for something to load, we'd go outside on our bikes. And when I was like Dan said, when I was young, I would go outside and just ride around the neighborhood like you did um, and then come back when I'm hungry. But he stays indoors and play. He's playing with his mates, yeah, not in person. Like they're chatting online, like right now while we're having this call. He's got a, a WhatsApp call going with one guy and in-game chat with some other people. So he's playing with mates both from his school and mates from other schools and mates from his football club. So he is interacting with people just on the computer playing Fortnite at the same time. But he presumably doesn't have scarred and scabby knees like me and all my friends. I've still got the scars on my knees now from falling off my bike and hurting myself and stuff. And I don't know, doesn't that make you better for it? Or am I just being an old curmudgeon? I don't know. It's hard to tell. You need a control. You need two of them. I haven't got I haven't got twins, one of which I could keep, you know, locked up under locking key and the other one sent out into the wilds to see you know, what the difference is. Unfortunately, I can't do that. Well, it's almost like kids these days have no free will and they're being forced by their parents to not go out on their own. Right, yeah, I'm forcing him to play Fortnite right now. Totally. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm the horrible mom that takes the power cord from the Xbox and kicks them outside, so <laughs> I take away their free will. No, you're the, the good mom who oh, thanks. actually wants them to go outside and, you know, I mean, it's different, I suppose, because the weather, albeit I think it's pretty cold there now, but generally the weather is much better there, whereas for about nine months of the year in the UK, the weather's shit, and so kids don't really want to go outside. But, um, you know, it's it can't be good for kids to just sit indoors staring at computer screens all day. 
I definitely feel like there's something to the thing of having to figure things out when you're on your own as a kid. And if you want to get somewhere or like, I remember, you know, never having used a payphone before. Oh, I want to call my mom for something. I got to figure out how a payphone works or I want to get to the mall and that's too far to ride my bike. I need to figure out how to get on the bus and like having to figure things out in order to get to do the things you wanted without your parents' help. I think that's an important part of growing up. Totally. Sophie went for a walk recently and uh, she just went for a stroll around the local neighborhood and uh, she got lost and she wasn't quite sure how to get home. And uh, she was telling me this a couple of days later. And I said, so did you get your phone out and open like Google Maps? And she was like, no, I keep forgetting I've got Google Maps. She's got this like always on computer in her pocket. So she actually used Snapchat to ping her friends and said, I'm lost. And one of them used the map functionality in Snapchat to say, okay, I can see where you are. Turn left, then turn right. Right now you're in front of the shop. And like... I, I clearly have failed as a father. I haven't <laughs> equipped her with the skills to be able to navigate her way back to the house, even though she's got Google Maps in her pocket. I feel like a failure. I think you did a great job. You just taught her how to outsource the problem. 